Mark Gein, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Well, you are the founder of Speakeasy. You are a farmer, I'll say, a cannabis farmer uh, based in Okanagan in BC. Uh, we met, I mean, it might as well have been a bajillion years ago because it was before we were, before I was spending every day in the basement. Uh, but it's nice to see you uh, again during these times. Yeah, it's like dog ears. Every day is worth seven in COVID. It does feel like that. Uh, but for you, I want to, I want to focus on, other, I want to talk to you about a lot of things. Um, but first, let talk about the roots you have on the farm because you are come from a farming family. This is in your blood, cannabis and other things as well. Talk a little bit about that and how you landed on the location where your family is now. Sure. Um, I mean, connection to the land is a, is a pretty huge thing uh, for, for most farmers, uh, especially generational farmers, farmers that have, you know, have had the family farm, family ranch um, handed down over generations. Um, to uproot and move from that is a very difficult thing. When they talk about roots, it's serious. Like you, you leave a chunk of yourself in that place. So when we moved up here in 95, after being in the Okanagan uh, for 110 years, um, it, was, it, was, uh, it was a pretty big thing for my, my parents to, to pull up and move up here. But um, uh, this is just such a perfect, beautiful place. Um, it just made sense. And, and we, we planted roots here in a hurry. Uh, this is now very much home. I've spent more than half of my life here in Rock Creek. Uh, I've raised, uh, or in the process of raising, uh, eight kids. Uh, I've got uh, two grandkids now, so every single one of them has been born in Kelowna and, and uh, has grown up out here. So um, this is very much home. Um, the attachment to farming the land uh, is, is just a super important thing. It's difficult to explain. It's one of those, if you haven't lived it, it's, it yeah, I can't explain it, but right. uh, powerful. Well, there's a, there's a, uh, a short documentary that that uh, we've been watching over here, uh, not on repeat, but also not not on repeat. So when you see the views start to climb up on YouTube, you'll know uh, it was us sort of re-scrolling through because it's a very compelling story. It's about Speakeasy Growers, a family farming legacy, and it talks to, to you and your family and your father, uh, and and it really does sort of set the stage. Uh, and it is a very compelling story. And before we came on, I was saying, you know, we've been doing interviews like this for three years. We uh, probably not nearly enough actually talk to uh, farmers, far proper farmers, um, and farmers who are intergenerational, you know, multi-generational farmers. Talk a little bit about that history because it's obviously cannabis is part of it now, but talk about what, what the family has been growing over decades and centuries, really. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so my great grandfather uh, moved to the Okanagan area right beside uh, the what became the Kelowna Airport. And back in then, they they didn't even have plants. But uh, um, so he started growing uh, apples in that area. He was the first to grow apples uh, in that area. Father Pandozi uh, um, uh, started growing the missionary, which is um, you know a two day horse ride, I guess, from from where great grandfather was. But uh, uh, the family farm started there. My grandfather uh, born in Kelowna. Um, he expanded the farm, moved up to the, what's the Rutland bench now, uh, and down into the Mission uh, area of Kelowna. Uh, my father took over after him, uh, expanded into East Kelowna and uh, Coral Beach, um, uh, a few other places. Uh, and then I started um, in uh, 91, uh, 92. Um, uh, I grew up on a farm. Uh, farm labor is just, just the most horrible thing in the world. Like the only thing I knew for sure I wanted um, to, to do when I got out of high school was not far, like it was just, it was that bad. Uh, until there was a, an extra little section on the, one of the home plots that uh, we started growing ginseng and dad said, yeah, here's some extra stuff, go ahead and plant your own. And I did that and was just absolutely hooked. Uh, it was not long after that, that I knew there was 
there was nothing else to do. This was it. I loved it. I loved everything about it. Um, I loved that I was responsible for everything and I could look back at the end of the day and literally see what I had done. And that's just so satisfying to me. Um, so it's, uh, it, it just became the only focus in life. So then we came up to Rock Creek uh, to grow ginseng up here. Um, we were leasing land in Kelowna by the airport. Moved up here, uh, started growing 150 acres. We were uh, the third largest producer of ginseng in, in North America at the time. Uh, that whole industry crashed hard and fast. Uh, they started growing over in China. Um, so we transitioned into cherries. Um, this is a slightly later uh, season than, than Kelowna. So it gave us a niche market. The uh, cherry prices um, really plummet once uh, Washington State comes on and then start to climb back up as cherry supply runs out. Uh, so it became a, a nice little niche market for us here. Um, and then in 2013, we, um, I read in a newspaper actually that uh, the, the federal government was going to release a program called the NPR, and we were going to be able to grow um, cannabis commercially. And we were a commercial operation, uh, the logistics and everything involved in, in large scale farming uh, would be exactly the same as cannabis. Um, so we thought we were a perfect fit and, and applied. Took us uh, six years, nine months, and seven days or something like that to, to actually achieve the license finally. It was quite a journey. We went through three different uh, um, uh, regimes, uh, three different rules, uh, MMPR, ACMPR, and finally the CTLS and Cannabis Act. So we, we achieved our license in uh, 2008, or sorry, uh, November 8th uh, last year, uh, and then got our amendment um, uh, for the outdoor, and then we've built uh, three other buildings. We just got our amendment uh, approved yesterday, actually, for two of the buildings, yes, Banner Day. Um, so we're, we're going to be uh, uh, finishing those buildings out, and we'll be producing 2,000 pounds or so per month out of those buildings. So um, it, it has been, uh, it's been quite a climb, um, but at the end of it, this, like this morning, I came down, we have a crew of 50 plus people. Um, you know, it's agriculture. There's oh. I've lost you. Exactly the same as cherries, apples, all of that is, is uh, you know, you, you have a logistic team. You've got a guy with a whip and, and a bunch of different teams and, and everybody just goes about their daily business and it's, it's, it's farming. Um, so it's, it's not much of a diversion from any other type of farming, really. Yeah. I want to talk about that because um, we've like the industry, the cannabis industry overall has, uh, you know, there was this big ramp up of, of cultivation capacity. And uh, that was a direct correlation to how much capital, you know, money you could raise in the capital markets. Now we see, you know, if you follow the trends, there's an oversupply of cannabis, but the consumer uh, is not necessarily satisfied with the supply that they're like, how do you guys think about that? Uh, and do you come at it as a, from a different perspective, because you are farmers and you've seen, you know, you've seen these things before. Talk a little bit about how you sort of approach that entering this market, you know, and it's, it's October, obviously. So it's, it's top of mind for, for, for people cultivating outside. Like, how do you actually think about those things? So it's, if you look at what exists now without understanding what happened uh, to get us here, you'd be like, why would anyone grow in large scale greenhouses? It doesn't happen anywhere else um, in the cannabis market. You, you just, there's just no reason for it. But uh, back in the day when expansion was the most important thing. I mean, the key factor, number one was, do you have a license? And if you had a license, money was just thrown at you. And then it got a little bit more competitive and well, what's your size? Are you, are you this size or that size? And the guys that could grow the fastest and be the biggest and could claim that they're the biggest or second biggest, they got a ton of money thrown at them. Um, so what's the fastest way of, uh, of building out? Well, at the time it was greenhouses. You could throw those things up in a hurry comparatively to, 
the infrastructure required for an indoor grow, it was just not possible to grow that big. So uh, following the money, and this is a corporate mindset, um, they, it made sense for them to grow a ton of product in a greenhouse without stopping to think really what is the end product going to be like and people are people going to want this it was an afterthought um the genetics that they had at the time and this was partially health canada's fault well it was all health canada's fault um they had a limited amount of, of genetics available they grabbed as much as they could and, and the first guys in and then health canada did this thing where they slammed the door no new gen genetics genetics for anybody and they had to sort of share the white widow and everybody had five different days it was i mean it was kind of a nightmare so they ended up in a situation where there was very few genetics um, they grew as fast as they could, so they threw up greenhouses uh, just so they could say that they're the biggest and boom, we're here today with poor genetics, with a giant infrastructure, uh, billions of dollars spent on greenhouses, and then they allowed outdoor grow. So you compare outdoor grow in any way to greenhouse and outdoor kills it. Uh, look at any other market. I mean, this isn't just my opinion. Look at Washington State, look at Oregon, look at Colorado, look at California. Any of those markets, they don't have giant greenhouses. They, they have outdoor grows and then they have indoor, indoor grows. Indoor um, annihilates them in terms of quality. You cannot grow something on a million square feet of, of open canopy that's a monoculture that has the same environment from front to back. You cannot bring out the best in any specific genetic. You have to treat them all the same, which doesn't bring out the best in any genetic. Um, so uh, they can't compete in quality. And then for price, I mean, we're four cents a gram, they're 60 cents a gram. You just can't, you can't compare the price uh, um, on, on a fair fight. So not only is the infrastructure 250 times more expensive for a greenhouse, they don't have the ability to be able to expand as fast as growers that, that grow outdoor and their cost advantage is gone uh, over or indoor. So really we're looking at an industry that is somewhere around 90% greenhouse that they're all dinosaurs. They just there's nowhere to compete. So that's really where the glut comes in. Um, consumers don't want middle of the road product. They want either really good product or really cheap product, and there isn't much in between. So growing outdoors, um, we have all the starting material that we need to make any concentrate. So a, a THC molecule doesn't care if it was grown inside, outside, or or in a greenhouse. It cares, it cares about how it's been extracted. Um, some of the terpenes, depending on what, what type of uh, extract it is, um, and all of those things can be created efficiently outdoors. So really, we're looking at an industry that is 90% rotten wood, um, and how they're going to rectify that, I, I don't see many other options. Well, luckily, that won't be your problem. No, it's not our problem, for sure. For sure. <laughs> Anybody that produces a high-quality product right now can displace the mediocre or low-quality right off the shelf. Uh, it, it, anybody that says there's a glut, it's, there's not a glut of high quality product. There's not a glut of product that people want. There's a glut of product that people don't want. And that will always happen until those companies either go away or start producing product that people want. Because we can't supply the market with high quality product right now. It's just, it's, it, we haven't even come close. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to uh, with the amount of infrastructure that's built up to produce high quality product. And a high quality product in Canada right now isn't just a high THC. It's, it's a genetic that people haven't heard of or have access before. It's, it's a THC content, um, which seems to be the focus. That'll change as the market matures. And people realize that 24% isn't the, isn't the low mark for THC. It's, it's way more about the terpene profile and the quality of the product. So you can get a 17% uh, product that will uh, do everything that you're looking to do. Yeah. And maybe some um, things you're not, yeah. Some things you probably don't intend on doing, yeah. Uh, but the way it is right now, THC content is a real focus. So if you have genetics that are 
really good producers uh, and, and produce high quality product and uh, high THC content and is not generally available in the market, you can sell almost as much as you can produce. So there is no glut with that, but there is a glut of mediocre um, yeah, product that everybody has, the genetics that everybody has of 16, 17%, uh, maybe six, eight months, a year old. Yes, there's a massive blow on that, but not on what good producers are putting out right now. Yeah. I, I, want, I want to ask you because um, it's obviously October. You are in BC. Uh, we have had, um, in, independent of sort of the, the epidemiological challenges the world is facing right now, we are also facing uh, uh, climate change, but also uh, fires um, up and down the West Coast, including in BC. Uh, I think more so in sort of California, Oregon, and Washington. But, but has, that, has that affected what you see on a day-to-day basis? Does it affect what you're growing? Like what is the impact to you guys if there is one and sort of how do you, how do you think about that? Yeah, we get that uh, question a lot. Um, so we did have about uh, eight, maybe 10 days of, of uh, really socked in weather where, where um, the, uh, the smoke blew up and settled into valley bottoms. And, and it was, I mean, our valley is about maybe two kilometers wide and you couldn't see across it. Like the smoke was thick. Uh, so the question then became like, is this going to ruin the crop? Is this going to affect the flavor, the, 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 the taste? Is there going to be a nose on it? Is, is, are they going to flower slower? Um, the fact is there are so many different variables in farming. It's really difficult to say unless everything is exactly the same and you change one thing, it's impossible to say what has affected what. Um, but we don't detect any smell. We don't detect anything. We've had it sent off for testing and there's, there's no contaminants of any kind. So it really comes down to that 10 day period you would have a, a reduced amount of photosynthesis happening because you just don't have the sunlight there. So how much of an effect did that have on the crop? Impossible to say, but um, it's taking us a long time to process it. So I don't know how much more we could have handled. So maybe that 10 days has given us a, a, a respite. But, it, was uh, a, I, it was a nice I coincidence. Um, I talk a little yeah. bit about, I, I wanna talk a little bit about geography and then let you get back to farming, but but um, talk a little bit about the exact space that you are in and, and the the uniqueness of the climate and maybe the uniqueness of the climate uh, we, we talked about cherries but uniqueness of the climate for cannabis talk talk about what the sort of differentiator is for speakeasy where you guys are growing right now yeah uh, so we're in extreme south central bc so we are literally on the border the edge of the ranch is right on the, the united states border so we couldn't get much further south without being yankee um we're at, we have an elevation gain over asuyas um now asuyas in bc if you're not familiar with it where it is uh is one of the most fertile places in Canada. Uh, it's called the Golden Mile, um, and it's an area from the border up to uh, you know, 20, 30 kilometers north of there. And they produce tree fruits and, and uh, of all kinds in there. So uh, it's, it's actually home of Canada's only pocket desert. Um, there's a little bit of a mountain range beside that, and which creates a rain shadow. It's already an arid climate, but that little um, mountain range squeezes the moisture out of the clouds as they come over, and it just hardly ever rains there. So it's technically a desert. Um, we are uh, just uh, 30 kilometers uh, due east of there uh, with about um, a thousand feet or so of elevation gain. So that elevation gain affects our um, temperatures day and night. Uh, plus we don't have a large body of water here. We have a river that comes through, um, but we don't have something that affects uh, like we don't have lake effect or um, humidity issues or anything like that. So it's a very dry place. Uh, this time of year is the most noticeable where you'll have cooler nights than you would down the Okanagan Valley. Um, as far as cannabis goes, that's great. Um, it, it gets cold, the plants react by producing more resinous, sappy material, which acts as a thermal blanket for itself. Um, if you had that cold temperature and it didn't warm up, then you know, 
you've got some, but because we get so warm, like it was 28 degrees here yesterday. So we get close to three, five degrees at night. It cools, it, the plants freak out and start producing resin. And then the next day it goes to 25, 28 degrees, which just like fires up the metabolism of the plant. And it's able to react to what it was learned from the night before, which is, hey, produce more rosin. So we get plants that are just, just dripping, um, uh, tons of, of uh, cannabinoid uh, content and in the trichomes and just coated top to bottom. So add that to the almost no rain. We've had one rain event, which resulted in about a millimeter of rain from about the 7th of, of July until now. Uh, this weekend, we're looking at another rain event that may bring another millimeter, but I mean, that's two to three millimeters since uh, the beginning of summer. I think we had that this morning in Toronto, to be yeah. quite honest. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> very um, different. Humidity I mean, is, humidity is uh, like right this morning, I think we're at uh, 45 to 50, but we'll touch 30% and, and run up to 50% on an average day, which, uh, which is what you try and design your, your indoor grow rooms to be. You try and keep it around that 50% mark. So we just have so little disease pressure, uh, which is a huge thing for outdoor production because we don't use any pesticides and Health Canada has not registered any pesticides that would be effective. Um, uh, so, I mean, really it's, it's us versus mother nature and if mother nature throws things that you like we got on the coast, it's a wipeout show a lot. Uh, and in Ontario with the humidity um, that they have, it's a much bigger challenge out there than it is here. Yeah. It's like if you were going to uh, concoct an outdoor environment to grow in, it would be, it would be yeah. down the street from speakeasy. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I want to wish you luck. I, I I don't know what the right phrase is to wish you luck during sort of harvest, but whatever that is, as we uh, are around Thanksgiving, uh, uh, good luck in that frame. Um, and good luck to Speakeasy. I mean, obviously, it's a very compelling story, but it would be less compelling if you were an asshole, but you're not. <laughs> you're a good guy <laughs> to talk to, and I appreciate that. Uh, look forward to the next time we can connect uh, this way and maybe someday uh, on the farm as well. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you very much.